is a blessing uh, to have with us today Pastor uh, Jared Ruddy, who is the lead pastor. Yeah. Pastor Jared is the lead pastor, of course, over Elam Gospel Church. He's also on the board of directors here at Elam Bible Institute. He's a great guy. I love to be with him, love to talk. He's got a great mind. He loves the Lord with all of his heart. It's always good to engage with him. And he's going to come and bring the word of the Lord to you. So how many are ready for that, huh? Can we give Brother Jared a warm EBIC welcome? Brother Jared. Hey, everyone. Good morning. So good to be here today. Uh, welcome to many of you to Elam. So glad that you're here. No God is going to meet you. Even, uh, even at a strange time, I had a friend of mine. Uh, he said, instead of saying it's a weird year, it's a year weird. And I just think that is like the perfect description of 2020. Uh, but God is present with us. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to open with me to 1 John chapter 4, uh, verse 7 through 12 is what we're going to look at. I'll give you a second to get there. I'll be reading from uh, ESV, but uh, whatever version you're reading will get us to the same place. First John chapter 4, starting in verse 7 through 12. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world, so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he has loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. 1 John 4 through uh, 7 through 12. I was thinking about uh, our time together this morning in... Um, recognizing, you know, there's a lot of really good things a person can speak on or preach on. I was thinking, you know, all of the stuff I'd love to encourage you with, and you're going to hear so many messages this year, so many different Bible studies, so many books you're going to read, all of these sorts of things. And, I, you know, you start, if you, you preach for some time, you start to know, okay, I, I've got the thing I can talk about. You know, how many people, you have a message, you're like, I can preach on that sort of thing. You're like, that's my core life message. So I was thinking, okay, you know, what are these things that would be really good to speak on? And then I asked myself a different question. I, I thought, what would I want to say to uh, 18, 19-year-old Jared Ruddy? Rather than just trying to give you a message, what is the thing uh, that I would want to share with you if I could? And it's this. This little text about the love of God. How many people played red light, green light growing up? Anyone remember that game, red light, green light? You're on one side of the room, and um, you'll probably catch this by the end of the service. I have undiagnosed ADHD. I'm pretty confident. <laughs> I figured if I would never get diagnosed, then I don't have a problem. But anyways, I'm on this side. Um, you're on this side of the room, right? And the, the teacher's on the other side. And the teacher says green light. And you sprint as fast as you can. And then red light, you stop. And then every once in a while, they'd say yellow light just to throw you off, right? And if you're like me, you're kind of a jittery kid, you would run, 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 run. And then what happens if they say red light and you keep moving, you do one of those numbers. And then what do you do? You're back to the beginning, over here. And it's always the person that just took their time, you know. That was never fun, though. That's not, that's not an enjoyable thing. Because you think, I can make it up in that last second. I may be losing, but I could, I could jump and I could stick the landing, right? For the longest time, even though I 
grew up as a believer, I knew God loved me, but I wasn't sure that he liked me. And if I was actually really framing it properly, I would say this. I'm not really sure if God loved me. You know, conceptually, theoretically, I understood that Jesus died on the cross for my sins and that I would spend eternity with him in heaven, but I wasn't exactly, you know, I could recite that sort of thing, but I didn't know if I actually lived from that place of being loved by God. In fact, my spiritual life probably looked like a game of red light, green light. I started each morning on this side over here, and I knew God was on the other side of the cosmos, and it was my responsibility through spiritual disciplines and the avoidance of sin that I could make my way over to him. And if I did, by the end of the day, it was a successful day. And God forbid I would lay my head down on the pillow and feeling like I hadn't prayed enough or read enough or done something to find God's affirmation. Have you ever found yourself like that? You go to put your head on the pillow and you start to feel like I didn't do enough. So if you were like me, you would go grab your Bible, you'd flip the light on, you'd play Bible roulette, you'd kind of open it up, and then Judas hung himself, wrong passage, and then you go to the... <sighs> until you found something that either soothed your religious anxieties. And I found myself in this dangerous trap of trying to serve God out of what I do believe was a true, genuine desire to know him, but, but in hindsight, probably was trying to Again, soothe some sort of religious anxiety. This idea that God's on one side of the room, I'm on the other, and, and through obedience, through some sort of activity, I could get there. And if I could just get there, and then the idea was, uh, imagine if I could stay there. Then I would go to some sort of retreat. Maybe I, I would reflect back even at my time at ministry school, and I would think if I could just surround myself with enough people I could convince myself to stay here. I could, I could figure out enough ways to stop sinning and increase my spiritual disciplines. And if I could do that, then, then I could probably just remain over here. But then there was this little problem. See, I never felt like I was a Christian until t after 10 a.m. <sighs> and I know that might sound silly to you, and maybe it actually sounds like a descriptor of your life. Or for some reason, it would take me like enough. It would take me a part of the day to really kind of generate enough steam to remind myself that God loved me. I'd kind of wake up with a guilty conscience. I couldn't really figure out why. I mean, I didn't have you know, I didn't have some. I uh, wasn't running some underground. You know, Bitcoin wasn't around there, so I couldn't like you know, wasn't doing any illegal activities or anything like that. It was just my own religious nerves, I guess you could say. And that was probably honestly from growing up in church and and hearing enough messages. Uh, you know, every eye bowed and uh, or every head bowed and eye closed. Amazing that I can still screw that up after I've heard that so many times. <laughs> every head bowed and eyes closed. And take a minute and kind of search through yourself. And it's amazing as Christians, uh, and, 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 you know, how introspective. Because we really do want to love the Lord. We want to be holy. We want to be pure. But something in me, it grabbed hold of that, this introspection of, what's still broken? What's still wrong? What, what do I need to do? What do I need to fix? And how, how can I form this? And what I began to see is that I, I tried to construct formulas. I tried to construct these, these ways of doing things. Again, for me, it was reading the Bible, but it wasn't just reading the Bible. It was reading the Bible for length. 
For some reason, uh, I don't know where I picked it up, but it was this idea that I had to read the Bible in a year, which is always good until you hit Leviticus. <laughs> and especially as a young person who I didn't really have any understanding of what was happening in Leviticus, I'm trying to relate that to life of riding a bicycle and why I have to, you know, kill a bull and sacrifice him as a sin offering. Of course, now I actually enjoy the book of Leviticus, but it took a little while. But there was this thing in me that I had to read for length. I had to, I had to get a solid few chapters in because I knew that was the thing. If I, could, if I could check off these boxes, then I'd be able to kind of calm myself down. Kind of construct these formulas, these, these ladders, if you will, that I would have to climb. But for some reason, I always found myself falling down. If I could just figure out a way to stay there. I want to draw your attention back to this text this morning. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this love, uh, in this, the love of God was made manifest. God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. Verse 10, in this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he has loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. I want you to focus on verse 10. In this is love, not that we have loved God. This, is, this, this scripture really messed with me. This is love, not that we have loved God, but that God has loved us. Um, I'm a father of two, and I've got a third on the way in February. I'm very excited about that. One of the things about small children, um, I never changed a diaper until I was a dad. Uh, people would, you know... You want to hold the baby? I wasn't even really a big fan of holding babies because, you know, the whole story, you break it, you buy it sort of thing. I just was like, I'm just being honest, I got very nervous holding a little baby because I'm like, I'm not ready. You know what I mean? I don't want somebody, it's a newborn baby here. I don't know what I'm doing. I've never held one. You know, uh, two kids in, I'm like, look at that third, like, we'll be fine. You know, um, just keep them coming. But we're, we're, we're good at this point, you know. The, uh, but anyways, point being, um, you know, small children kind of, you know, they just freak me out. Some people are, you know, maternal or paternal by instinct. Uh, I actually have found myself to be very different than that, honestly. And uh, it's, I've had conversations, um, you know, with other uh, friends of mine, guys that are having children. And, you know, because some people describe childbirth as if it's like the, uh, the great crescendo of uh, your life experience. You know, the moment you hold that baby in your hands fireworks go off and everything makes sense and you're finally, you've arrived at your destiny or whatever that is and, and there's this child and life makes sense and you have this love that you've never experienced before and all of these sorts of things. Has anyone ever heard a descriptor about that? Now I've talked to some people that that actually apparently does ring true for. I can tell you uh, I'm at least the exception to the rule because it took me a solid nine months before I felt any connection. And I don't mean that in some sort of disturbed way. It didn't mean I, you know, I wasn't like trying to give the baby back or trying to figure out how we could get it back in air. And like, all right, it's a little big, but can we figure it? You know, it was none of that. <laughs> I wasn't looking for to get rid of our child. I just didn't have that. I, and I think what it was was that I kept hearing all of these people talk about like, when you have this baby, like life is going to, you know, you, all, you know what I'm talking about. If you, you've probably picked up on that. And if you haven't yet, just wait in a couple of years, somebody will load you or some Hollywood film will, will load you with enough of this expectation to think that, that life is meaningless until you have a child. So I had my son Landon. He's four now. 
And I remember it took me, again, a solid nine months before I really felt a connection. I'm not talking about, like, I enjoyed having him on my chest. A little strange when they start to, you know. But um, I enjoyed, enjoyed having him there, you know, trying to figure out, um, you know. And uh, I loved him, but I, I didn't sense that connection. In fact, really until nine months, I would say what, what Landon contributed to our relationship in re- regard to uh, actions, if you will, activities, things that he brought to the relationship, there wasn't really much. I mean, there was, but it's just not the ways that I would typically define a relationship. The type of things that my son brought into our world was, of course, the typical things that I don't need to describe, the changing of diapers, the burping up of whatever we just fed him. I was ranked in the number one, I was in the top 1% playing uh, Madden online before my son was born. I was like, Aaron, if I was born five years later, I could have been a pro video game player. My son was born, I can't play a video game to save my life now. He ruined that. I tried for those first few months. I was like, okay, I could time this out, and I'm going, literally, I just was like, I'm I'm in the top 1%. I'm like, I don't even really play this. I can really go somewhere with this. Or I could play these tournaments. You win a bunch of money. I'm like, amazing, right? My son's born. That, that career went out the window. He didn't really contribute anything in the way that I would think about, or at least I should say prior to having a son, the way that I thought about love. See, we, we are in a world that is uh, infatuated with uh, romantic pursuits. And it's one of those things when I um, counsel now uh, people that are early in relationships, you start off with this, and I don't want to ruin this for anybody in case you're dating here, but you start off with this idea that I've never found anyone more similar than this person. We like everything. I have never found a person that gets me more than this person. Then it moves to the next stage, and the next stage is, well, we've got a couple differences, but we really get each other. Then it moves to the next stage where it goes, they're very, very different, but I still love them. Then you move to the next stage, ultimately, hopefully that's during marriage, I have never found a person more different than you. (laughs) But here's here's the beautiful thing. Here's the beautiful thing. If two people under the covenant of marriage, continue walking that path, what you find is that you actually end where you thought you started. What I mean by that is not only are they different, but then you become different, and then you start to take on their desires, right? You start to become more like that person. Things that Aaron, my wife, loves, I'd never liked that before we were married. Now I love that. It's become a part of me. See, see we, we, though, have this definition of relationships that is, if we're honest, we're trying to date or marry somebody that looks like us. I know that's uncomfortable. But we're really just looking for someone to affirm us and to continually, you know, Uh, uh, some sort of transactional thing where we're always the beneficiary and we'll give that relationship to them. Really, I know this sounds weird and I'm probably ruining a relationship as I speak, but it's true. 
It's kind of this transactionary type of thing because this is the world that we live in. You think of Valentine's Day, right? Valentine's Day. It's, a, it's this holiday where we have to figure out what can we buy, what can we get, what can we give. And yet when we look at the definition uh, in Scripture of this is love, not that we've loved God, but that God has loved us. I, I, I go back to this picture of my son that, that I didn't feel any connection to him in regard to, he didn't contribute, certainly didn't take out the trash or cook, anything like that. And yet, my understanding of love changed in that, that the way that Landon at that point would love me was by letting me love him. I was on an airplane a few years ago. I sat down, buckled my seatbelt, hoping, you know, nobody sits beside me. <laughs> nobody asks you what you do for a living. You know, just kind of sit there and, um, and, you know, lady behind me sits down, instant crying. The baby starts crying. You know, it's one of those, and it's a long flight. It's a multiple hour one, and you're like, it's going to be a long one, right? Baby starts crying. It, amazing, though, once the, once the mother soothed the child. It only took a few moments, and the baby was silent the whole, the whole trip. Incredible. Mom gets up, and you know babies today are like a fashion piece, right? You know, can't just have a baby. It's how you hold the baby. You know, you've got these slings and things, and, you know, reminder, the baby only stays this small for so long, but, I mean, during that few months, you've got a lot of Instagram pictures to take, and uh, you, you better get your, you know, your fair share of these things. So, you know, you've got slings and all of these. Uh, I don't even know what they are. I'm concerned. It's a lot. So, but, so she stands up and she's got the baby in, the, in this thing, this contraption of sorts. And she's reaching for her suitcase and she realizes she can't do it. So she goes, do you mind holding my baby? So she just picks up the baby and hands it to a stranger. Now, I would never do that, but she did. She hands the baby to the stranger, and instantly the baby starts crying. I mean, losing it, like, right away. Have you ever had that experience when somebody, you know, would you like to hold the baby? Sure. And the moment the baby touches your hands, it loses it. It just, and you're, and, you know, what's wrong with, what did I do? Who am I? You know, all those sorts of questions. You know what I mean? This, like, innocent child. You know what I mean? And you, and you started off with a wonderful smile, and now you're like, and then the mom's like, oh, no, it's okay. And you're, it's clearly not. It's clearly not. Take your child back, please, please, please. And you're sitting there, you know, with that terrorized look in your eyes, right? So the moment the child comes back into the mother's arm, instantly asleep again. Again, what my son was able to give me in regards to, you know, he couldn't give me a Father's Day card. He couldn't, you know, do anything in regard to actually what he brought to the, to the table of the relationship was, was nothing that I would really want. If I was choosing friends, I would tell you that it would, it would not, he wouldn't have made the circle. You know? He wouldn't, he wouldn't have made it at that time. But yet, something in me, my understanding of love, changed in a way that, that how did Landon love me? How did my daughter Quinn love me was by letting me love them. And so the difference was now, here's this baby I'm holding, which I, I'm personally not feeling all of this deep affection for in some uh, Hollywood way, but I'm, I'm experiencing this love now that I have for this child. And the moment, like, you know, somebody would come over, do you want to hold our son? Do you want to hold our baby? And then, then the fireworks go and the tears go. And then it was kind of cool as a parent then, you know, oh, I'll take him back, instantly back to sleep, right? 
And this is love, not that, that we have loved God, but that God has loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for, uh, for the propitiation of our sins. See, I told you I, I grew up subconsciously kind of thinking, I don't know why, but I grew up thinking that God loved me, but he didn't really like me. And I think, if I was honest, I think the way I would pinpoint that was probably in the way that I would hear people talk about the death of Christ. I would hear it in, in ways that it wasn't explicitly said like this, but it seemed to be implied. That, that God loved you so much that he killed Jesus for you. For God so hated the world that he sent Jesus to die for you. And I, I'm not saying anyone ever said that. But for some reason, there was a disconnect in my mind between what God did on the cross and his love for me. And, it, and it, there was some sort of disconnect to this point where I'd go, okay, so God loves me so much, but he had to kill Jesus. I'm not sure if I would choose a dad like that. Does anybody hear what I'm saying today? You start, you, 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 you know, I understand, I understand God, it was motivated by love, but you start to go, well, that doesn't really, really look like love. I mean, I certainly wouldn't do that sort of thing. Why would God do that? And I want to share this with you today, just looking at the text here and even John 3, 16, that love is not the end of the cross. Love is the beginning of the cross, the middle of the cross, and the end of the cross. Jesus does not die on the cross so that he can love you. God so loves you that he sends his son to die for you. That the cross in a very real way is not trying to change God's disposition towards us. It is the revelation of God's disposition towards us in Christ. It's not that God is up there going, I could never, I can't. It's that God goes to the full extent of revealing his divine nature on the cross. That in Christ, God bears the penalty of sin. But not so that he can love us, but because he loves us. It's not a, if he does this, then. See, we tend to think, especially as Americans, in transactional terms. It's almost impossible for us to imagine a world beyond transaction. That's why everything on the internet that says free costs you your email address and costs you your sanity. <laughs> we, in fact, in the dictionary, have invented a new world called a freemium. Do you know that? It's a marketing term called a freemium. It means that you give something on behalf of hoping to get something back, but it's really free. And the whole idea in marketing is that if I give you more value than you ask for, then you'll like me. And if you like me, then you'll buy something from me. And that's the, the very essence of what marketing is about. But the idea of something really being free, is, is, it's nearly impossible for us to wrap our minds around. The idea that, that what God comes to us, offering us forgiveness, is actually Jesus is coming to forgive us, absolution. The only people that have a problem with you know, forgiveness, though, is people that are hell-bent on transaction. What do I bring to the table? What, what do I do? And let me remind you very clearly that the gospel tells us it's by grace we're saved through faith, and it is a gift. Do you know how many people want to charge you for that? The gospel is a gift. 
It is by grace we are saved through faith. It is not of ourselves. And yet for some reason, there's something inside of us that is always trying to prove and earn and show. What the Apostle Paul would call this is a works righteousness. A desire to find justification through the law. Now, I doubt any person here is worried about 613 commandments of the Old Testament. The reality is we, more often than not, try to construct our own mini version of these sorts of things. And they may not look religious on the surface, but they very much are. We construct these things of trying to find justification, trying to find an identity or a meaning in something, a, a coherent storyline to, to live out of. And so it's, it could be anything from the way that I dress to, uh, to, to who my friends are or who my friends aren't. It could be anything from the type of car I drive or the type of job I'll have or all of these sorts of things that if I can just find my meaning in something. And again, it all comes back to this transactional thing. And I want to I encourage you today when you look at this text. This is love. So God is love. And this is how God loves. Not that we love but that he has loved us and gave himself to be the propitiation of our sins. Okay, so anytime I talk about this, people get really nervous. And if you're not, I'll try to make you nervous a little bit more. Okay? So this, this, is, this is what happens. You start talking about the love of God, and right away we're trying to figure out, okay, Jared, but sooner or later you need to say, I know God loves you, but... That doesn't mean you can do whatever you want. That doesn't mean you can go sin. It doesn't mean that you can go party or do whatever you want. And I would say, I would say this to that, because this, this is a common thing. When you really start talking about the love of God, it, it makes people nervous. Maybe it's making you nervous. So you're telling me I don't have to do anything? I'm just going to sleep in all day? Well, you'll fail here, but... So you're just saying I can go do whatever I want. Okay, Jerry, give me a dose of the law now. Where does the law come in? Give me, okay, so what do I do? Is it the Ten Commandments? Is it this? What, you know, give me a canon within the canon. Show me what to do. And I would make the, just the simple argument today regarding the love of God is this. The people already do what they want. You're not looking for permission for it. In fact, if the only thing that's keeping you back from killing somebody or sleeping with somebody is some sort of religious anxiety, you have an issue. If the only reason you're not doing something is because of the fear of some sort of uh, retaliation on the other side, I'm not even sure how you would build that, a theology of that. I mean, I'm talking about from Scripture. So to me, the question is not what will we do if people do what they want. I would argue we already do what we want. The question is, what has the power to change wants? I'm talking about lasting change, not when you're at a youth retreat and everybody's jumping up and down. And then you go home and you're like, well, where is everybody? Well, what do I do? How do you actually change wants? How do you break an addiction to something? How, how do you actually see your life here and then there? I can give you, I'll give you two paths. One is called a shock collar. It's another dose of the law. Anytime you get too close, it kind of shocks you, you know. And I would imagine you'd probably re reform your behaviors quite quickly, you know. 
Anytime you go towards sin, it starts to shock your neck. I imagine that would change you. It would me. I certainly am not a big fan of pain. I bruise easily. <laughs> right? But if I'm really trying to change, uh, where does change come in your life? There's a famous sermon that was preached called the, the expulsion, the expulsive power of a new affection. Expulsive power of a new affection. And this Puritan sermon, the argument behind it was this, that the heart is so addicted to its own self-righteousness and behaviors that the only way to be freed of something is to fall in love with something that's greater. That the only way to truly move from here to there is, is not by another dose of the law, another dose of a burden, but is to, 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 to be captured by something that is greater than anything else. I want to put before you today as we come to a close in just four minutes is what I have. That this is who you have presented to you in the person of Jesus, God incarnate, That'll love. Not if you do this, then you'll get that. That is not the gospel. The gospel is that the gift of God has come to you in the person of Christ. Who loves you unconditionally. It's amazing how we want to footnote that verse. Have you ever talked to somebody that talks about this? And maybe, maybe this is going through your mind right now. I know God is love, but he's just. It's amazing how we need to footnote the fact that when, when the scripture defines God as love, for some reason, we want to define what love is through our own human uh, economic understanding of the way that things work. And I would say this, that, that the love of God is just. That's why Jesus died. When Jesus died, he deals with sin. He deals with hell. He deals with death. He deals with penalty and punishment and all of those sorts of things so that you don't have to. And that God comes to you and I simply like he does Adam and Eve. And he asks us one simple question when he comes to us. Where are you? Isn't that an interesting question? Where are you? You ever had a person call you on the phone and go, hey, where are you? What are they, what are they trying to do? They're trying to find out where you are. That's not a trick question. <laughs> I'm just making sure you're still tracking with me. I'm almost done. Where are you? Well, where are you? Okay, so where are you? I'm currently in the tabernacle at Elam Bible Institute and College. But there's, there's, there's another thing to that. See, where are you is also, uh, it's also a question of relationship, but then also proximity. See, I think about where I am in relationship to my home. I'm not a vagabond. I don't live here or anywhere else. I have a home. I have a bed. I define where I'm at in accordance to where I make my home. So when God comes to Adam and Eve in the garden. Isn't it amazing what he doesn't say to them or what questions he doesn't ask? Maybe you've heard these sorts of things. How could you do that? How did you screw this up? Do you realize how dumb that is? Of course you would do that. You did that again? Another time. I can't believe you would do this. If there was ever a person that deserved to hear that, I mean, come on, we're still suffering the effects of this. We're not talking about broken, like, glass or something. I mean, Adam and Eve, literally, I, I, don't, have a, I don't even have a good word to define what they did. 
I screwed up, it doesn't seem big enough. They literally fractured the cosmos. That's the closest thing I can get to. And yet, what does God come to them and ask? He doesn't say, he doesn't make it a declarative statement. Look how dumb you are. How could you? My goodness. What, who do you think you are? Better start over. I always knew you'd be like this. I saw you were going to do that. I, you know what I mean? I shouldn't have put the tree there. Like all of those sorts of things we're still figuring out. And the one question he asked them is simply, where are you? Where are you? That's yeah, amazing. It's amazing. It's amazing that, that our gospel doesn't start there, and instead we start it like that red light, green light game. And maybe not explicitly, but implicitly. So today, as I talked at you for 30 minutes, I hope something was beneficial. I want to pray for you that a revelation of Jesus Christ, the forgiveness of sins poured out through the shedding of his blood, would create within you the expulsive power of a new affection. That this year, at this time, whatever you're dealing with, whatever you're struggling with, that you would not become so introspective that you would try to construct these formulas and ladders and things that just complicate life. But that perhaps you could fix your eyes on Jesus, the, come on somebody, author and I'm just, I, know, I know we're worried about COVID, but just a little louder. Author and perfecter of our faith. For we who behold him become like him as we are transformed from one glory to another. Father, this morning we come to you humbly in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. And we ask now by the power of your Holy Spirit to work in and through us according to your good pleasure. Lord, would you break off all of these formulas and ladders and silly pursuits that we're trying to pay for something, a wage, of which you told Abraham it was a gift. For Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Lord, today we're asking for a love that would permeate our hearts, an expulsive power of a new affection. Lord, not that we would just temporarily push down our wants, but that you would transform them. Give us an appetite to know you, to love you, to be loved by you. And Lord, like a small child, we come to you as we enter the kingdom. And we say, Lord, we love you today by allowing you to love us. By allowing you to love us. We bring to you our sin. We bring to you our brokenness. And, and we say, Lord, would you cleanse us once again? Wash over with those beautiful words of absolution that we are forgiven. Lord, we love you and we ask these things. In the name of Jesus, by the power of your Holy Spirit, amen. God bless everyone. Have a, have a wonderful day.